let's open our Bibles this morning to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. If you remember those uh, the Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, go eat popcorn. That's how you might remember it. Those little letters, epistles written by Paul to churches. Um, and Philippians was his favorite group of believers. And, and you think, well, Rand, that's not uh, the Gospel of Luke, and that's not the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, why are we here in, in time of Advent? Well, you'll see how this applies, and uh, you'll see where we're going with this as we get into it. So if you're able, would you stand with me as I read the Word of God? Our Heavenly Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come upon us. Open our eyes, open our hearts and our minds to your word, that they would be more than just the black and white on the page, but they would be a sword that pierces our hearts, that opens our hearts, that we might understand who this child is who has come into the world, that we might belong forever to him. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. So it's Philippians chapter 2. Verse 5, and you'll see it's right in the middle of a larger section, uh, but this is what is known as the Christ hymn. So in some translations, 5 through 11 is kind of set off in poetic form or something like this. Here in the ESV, it's the straight, straight uh, paragraph here. So I'll begin in, well, you know what? We're here. Let's read chapter one, verse 1 and on. Chapter 2, verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and, and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And here's our passage for this morning. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as the thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. So what's the cost of Christmas? Cost of Christmas. I guess that depends on... How many are on your naughty list and how many are on your nice list? If you've got a lot on the nice list, it might be pretty expensive. If you've got a whole bunch on the naughty list, not too bad, okay? So I, you know, asked that question. I did a little research, of course. Everything in the world is found on the internet, good or bad. But when you factor in gifts for family, friends, and coworkers, only only that, the average cost for the American Christmas is roughly $1,000. Now, if you've had a especially nice year and you're getting something better, then of course it's gonna be more. If you've had a particularly naughty year, they're gonna spend less upon you. 
because this doesn't take into that thousand dollars doesn't take into account if you're traveling to see family or things like that special food uh, beverages any other extraneous costs it's just those gifts for that group now i also learned that in some sections around london around london so london is expensive to start with but this might be help to understand a, a, there's a, a high percentage of people of families who spend 156 percent of their income for the month of december on christmas 156 percent of their income now so just take your income what are you going to do the rest of the year you're going to pay for christmas the rest of the year obviously because you spent so much on christmas now that's just the material cost but what was the real cost of christmas i mean the cost that that goes before the foundations of the earth, the cost about the, through the, we can trace through the conception of Christ all the way to the cross. Now, as I said, Philippians 2 is kind of a, a strange passage to preach during Advent uh, when we're, we're talking about the adult Christ and the Christ who gives his life and hangs on the cross for us. And we're not talking about the infant who came to Bethlehem. But it's important to understand that while the nativity and the nativity scene might be more worthy of you know some warm fuzzies and, and things like that it has really no meaning unless you understand the cross i mean so a child was born in bethlehem if we don't understand that he was born to die and die on a cross what difference does it make that he was born in bethlehem on that day and our next hymn is going to illustrate this for us uh, so I'm going to kind of work through the hymn and work through scripture at the same time so you understand this. Uh, now, if you want, get your folder out and look at the next hymn. What child is this? Oh, we know that one, right? We don't know all the words to it, unfortunately. Because most of the time, those words which are so important to the nativity and understanding the nativity are not in a lot of hymnals. So we'll, we'll get to that, but you're going to see that. So why lies he in such mean estate where ox and ass are feeding that's the question why why did the son of god enter into the world which he created in the form of a man why was the king of kings and the lord of lords born in a stable why did the fullness of god that dwelt in the incarnate christ why was it laid in the straw in a feeding trough why lies he in such mean estate where ox and ass are feeding? Could Christian fear for sinners here? The silent word is pleading. Now, we're going to look at the rest of those words that you see here in your folder. Nails, spear shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me, for you. For you, hail, hail, the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. You know, those aren't in our hymnal. But that's the way Dix wrote the hymn. Because you can't understand the, why he is in such a mean estate unless you understand that the nails pierced his hands. They teach us that apart from Calvary, Bethlehem can't help us. In fact, we can't even understand Bethlehem apart from Calvary. When re events recorded in, in Luke and Matthew make no sense as to why the incarnate Son of God would come into this world. The answer as to why he came into this world is so that he may die. He came in to give his life. 
he emptied himself. Now, the emptying himself that we read about in Philippians chapter 2 is not a subtraction of his divinity. It is... Do you know? That is... We got that in Sunday school, remember? They're singing. I bet we're on the same channel as another church here. Okay, that's going to be the problem. We need, we obviously, we need more power. <laughs> we need more power. <laughs> we're just give, give the technicians a second here. Um, you know, years and years ago, this happened in the reverse. We were broadcasting at First Pres one Sunday. <laughs> We had the power then, I tell you. We think we're good? We don't know. Okay. We just call just, oh, just. Okay. Uh, uh, so we go back, okay? Now i got to get in my train of thought again. The, the answer is why he came into the world. He came into the world to die, right? He came into the world to give his life. Now, he came into the world. The emptying of himself is not the subtraction of his divinity. It's the addition of humanity. Never was his divinity lessened. He added on his humanity. That's the humiliation of the incarnation. He came into this world, and he was born in a manger. So the birth in Bethlehem begins about three decades of a path to the cross, which actually begins far, far back, before the beginning began. Now, he abhors not the virgin's womb. He does not shun the virgin's womb, but that's how he came into the world. So, <coughs> neither our humanity, nor our feeding trough, nor our stable, nor the path to suffering, which he knew he was on, deterred him from going to the cross to atone for our sin. Our sin. What are you worth? Well, just think about that. You may think of the person next to you. Some days, well, they're worth a lot. And other days, I wouldn't give you two cents. You know, they're just driving me crazy. No. They, Christ died for them. For you, for them. What worth are you to Christ? You are worth enough that he gave his life for you. For you. So why lies he in such mean estate? The mean estate into which Christ was born is an old English way, this was an ancient one, an old English way of referring to the circumstances in which he was born, the unflattering circumstances. Okay, now our, our modern ears don't quite appreciate um, what this means, this mean estate, and we should actually be much more shocked at it than we are. So imagine that you're a first century Gentile, and you're living somewhere around Jerusalem, and someone begins to read to you the Gospel of Luke. Okay, and it begins by telling you that a woman is pregnant with the Son of God who will be given several different names and titles. And these are some of the titles that he will be given. Prince of Peace, Mighty God, Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father. Now you're a Gentile and you think there's only one person in the world that gets those titles and he lives in Rome and he's Caesar. So you're telling me that the Son of God, who holds all of these titles, is laid in the straw in a manger? This is crazy talk. 
okay? That just doesn't happen. But yet, that is what has happened. The humility is part and parcel of the incarnation, of the coming of Christ. He left the Father's side. He took on the form of a servant. Kings don't usually arrive in, in such mean estates as listed here in the Kings. They certainly don't give up their power in order to sacrifice their lives and to atone for the sin of others, as Christ has done for us. For sinners here, the silent word is prudence. This takes us to the opening chapters of the Gospel of John, which Dan covered last week, remember? It doesn't talk about the story of the birth of Christ, only Matthew and Luke. But John talks about before the birth of Christ. Remember, it's literally translated, before the beginning began was the word of God. And the word became flesh, and where did he dwell? Right here among us. Right here among us. The silent word, that's the word of God, is pleading for us. Pleading, you think of Romans chapter 8. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God. And what is he doing there? He intercedes for us. Pleading that we would hear the silent word, the word made flesh, the word in Bethlehem, in that stable, in that feeding trough. I mean, how could we as humans, as smart as we are, Huntsville's a very smart city, and we are very smart people, typically. How could we comprehend the love of God on our own efforts? How could we comprehend all that comes to us from an infinite God who is purely holy and purely righteous and totally just? He is omnipotent and omniscient. He is omnipresent. How could we understand that? There's only one way if he came to us. It's the only way we were going to understand. If he revealed himself to us, then we could understand some aspect and understand whatever he wants us to. So God in human form. It is the word of God who stands between us, sinful humanity, and the throne of grace. He intercedes for us, saying, Father, you gave this one to me. I have shed my blood, given my life for them. I will never let them go. Here he is. As an aside, how did the shepherds find Christ? They found him in a manger. That's not quite the question. How did they find him? He was born this day in the city of David. That was the angel said. In the little town of Bethlehem, that's what we sing. But they only had a little bit of information. In Bethlehem, swaddling clothes in a manger. It's not much to go on. But we have to understand Bethlehem is not Huntsville. There are not 21 children that were born last night in Bethlehem. It's, it's a small village. So it wouldn't take long to find a newborn in such a village. So the, the detail that confirms they have the right one is that he's lying in a manger. You just didn't put a newborn in a manger. Okay? Manger was good for hay, but it's not the place of child that has just been born. So Luke reports for us a couple key details confirming the shepherd's search. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger, so they had the right one. First century Jewish care, and this is just a little bit of history. First, Jewish, first century Jewish care for newborns was in step with the typical practice around the world at that 
time, especially in the Middle East. Swaddling was the normal practice for Jewish mothers. Swaddling is when you wrap them up real tight, very tightly, so they, they don't move around. Six centuries before Christ, it was common infant care and also prophetic about the status of God's people. I'm going to read from Isaiah 16, or I'm sorry, Ezekiel 16. This talks about God coming along and finding Israel. Okay? As for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling cloths. Now, you were abandoned. That's what the Lord is saying for Israel. And I came along, and I took you, and I washed you, and I cared for you. That's how he adopted Israel, put them under his care. So he gives, Ezekiel's giving us a glimpse about the ancient care of wanted infants. If you were a wanted infant, the cord was cut, you were washed with water, you were rubbed with salt, <laughs> and then you were wrapped in swaddling cloths. I guess the salt is in case to help the healing maybe. Uh, I really didn't find too much on that, but that's what the practice was, and it's a pretty common practice. So as I said, this is a picture of Israel in her helplessness when the Lord comes along and takes her as his own. Same type of thing is happening here to Jesus. He's being swaddled. Swaddled at his birth was not the last time he was wrapped up in cloths, was it? After his death, he would be wrapped again. Luke tells us about this, but this time in linen. Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. He looked in the tomb, and Christ was gone, yet there were the cloths where he had been. Swaddled early in his life, swallowed, swaddled at the end of his life. I'm going to quote a little bit from tradition. This is not scripture, but this is tradition. Okay, So don't take this as gospel, but it sounds pretty good if it would be true. Tradition tells us that after the priests had worn out their priestly garments, they were, in a sense, recycled. They were cut into strips and recycled to wrap up the lambs that were intended for sacrifices so that they would continue uninjured. Some think that those were the types of garments that Jesus was swaddled in. Now, this would be a sign to you, the shepherds were told. They would go and see a human baby swaddled in these, if this would be true, these used priestly garments. And they, they would understand that significance. Here is the Lamb of God who will put an end to the sacrifices, take away the sins of the world. He'll be a priest unto himself, prophet, priest, and king. That's Christ. And will bring salvation. He's the child that was born to die a sacrificial death. So the mean estate really is the most alarming indication there is to faith in Christ. Religion says you have to work your way to God. Christmas says God has come to us. God has come to us. Oswald Chambers wrote, Beware of posing as a profound person. God became a baby. Man, God became a baby. What's more helpless than a baby? What is more vulnerable than a newborn child in this world? Humbleness, gentleness, unassuming, 
The king of kings had only the shepherds to guard over him. He didn't bring an army. He didn't bring a personal guard. No king's guard stood watch over the Christ. Only shepherds. And then the servants, the wise men who came to adore him. So why should the Savior be in such a humble setting where ox and ass are feeding? The second half of that stanza tells us why. Nails shall pierce him through. The cross he bore for me, for you. Hail, hail, the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. The reason, Dix writes, for this mean estate was the future. That's the cross. Nails shall pierce him through. Acts chapter 2. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. John 19, then the Jews, because it was the day of preparation so the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, the Sabbath was a high and holy day, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you also may believe that these things came to pass to fulfill the Scripture. Not a bone of him shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they have pierced. The cross be born for me, for you. First Peter. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds we are healed. Hail, hail, the word made flesh. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory Glorious of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the babe, the son of Mary. So what do we do? What's our proper response to this news? You give him the best you have. You own him. You own him. That is, you acknowledge him as Lord of all. So bring him incense, gold and myrrh. Come, peasant kings, you own him. The king of kings salvation brings, let loving hearts enthrone him. Raise, raise a song on high, the virgin sings her lullaby. Joy, joy, for Christ is born, the babe, the son of Mary. Scripture doesn't tell us how many wise men came. We always have three. The fresh shots, we've got three, so it comes in a box, right? Now, we have three typically because we associate with the three gifts that were brought. When the wise men came to find Christ, the child in Bethlehem, he and his family probably were no longer in a house, no longer staying at the stable. We see that in Matthew and, and in Luke. The Magi have come from a long way. This has come from the east, east of Judea. So a visit soon after Jesus' birth is probably not that likely. It's, the timeline is, is within two years. Because Herod issues an order to slaughter all the males in Bethlehem, and in that area, two years of old and under. 
So apparently there's this window that they showed up at. As soon as the wise men arrive at their destination, they worship the king and they give him gifts. Now, the interpreters have always established or, or uh, associated the gifts with Christ, different aspects of Christ's life. Gold represents royalty and the Messiah's reign. Frankincense is a, a fragrant gum from trees in the region. It's used in worship as incense. Uh, symbolizes Jesus' as deity, the myrrh, the scented rosin, uh, very expensive, used in embalming, points to the Lord's death. Now, I doubt that the, the wise men knew these things, that, that the Lord had opened their eyes and said, bring these gifts in particular, but in God's providence, they certainly fit. Not the baby, but the life of Christ and why he had come. Now, the, the gifts were nice, and they probably sustained Joseph and Mary and, and, and the baby through their travels in the early years, but they point to who Jesus is and why he came. Were the Magi, the Magi were Gentiles from the east, probably the reason we would associate with Babylon. How did they know these things? Remember, 586, Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians, and there was this large captivity and a lot of Jews were taken into Babylon, and a lot of them remained. They, they did not all return to Jerusalem after the 70 years of captivity. They built houses. They planted gardens. They stayed and made lives. And the Magi probably became informed as to the Old Testament and the coming of the Messiah through the Jews from the diaspora who were sent over there. So once they see the new star, they were typically astronomers as well as many other things. They associated the star with the prophecies that they had heard from the Jews who had been in captivity and their descendants. That was enough for them to go and see Christ. What's enough for you? What is enough for you to seek Christ? What will it take for you to seek after the Son of God? and find what you have been looking for all your life. Now, if you're already a believer, you say, well, Rand, I've, I've sought Christ, and he found me, and, and, and changed me, and, and my life is different. What will it take for you to seek him more? To fill your life with more and more of the things of Christ. And if you've never sought Christ, if you've never believed, and maybe today is the day that he's saying, today you will believe, because I have called you by name. And he there is before the throne of, of the Father, saying, Father, you have given this one to me, and I have shed my blood for them, that they will believe on this day that they will be mine forevermore. Pray with me, please. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and, and the call of this babe who was born in Bethlehem is upon our hearts. He came to die. Not just a senseless death, not, not a ceremonial death, but an atoning death. A death that pays for my sin. Lord, my sin is great, and it is an offense to you, a holy and perfect God. And the only way that that could be remedied, the only way that, that my relationship can be restored to you, is through Christ that he has given his life. And today he calls us to believe that we should
put aside all those other things and cling only to him. For this babe, this son of Mary, has come to die. And through his death, we actually find real life. Life that is everlasting. Life of joy and peace. The life we were meant to have. Open our hearts today, Lord. That our eyes and our minds and our hearts would see this truth. And we would cling to this babe who went to the cross for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone, please take your worship folders for What Child Is This? And let's, let's sing this familiar carol uh, with a bit of unfamiliarity. Focus on those words and 